You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. This weekend could mark the last time we fall back, changing the clocks, ending daylight saving time. That is because tomorrow the province will table legislation to keep daylight saving time year round. Richard Zussman is live in Victoria for us with the details on this. Richard, there is a lot that has to happen before this actually becomes a reality, right? There sure is, Chris. They never said it was going to be easy to manipulate time. Premier John Horgan will be introducing that legislation tomorrow. It is enabling legislation, but there are still a lot of hurdles that must be cleared before B.C. moves to permanent daylight saving time. It is one tick closer to getting rid of seasonal time changes in B.C. forever. We engaged with the public. It was uh, the most popular public engagement that has been done, uh, to my understanding, in the history of the province, actually. There were so many people who participated. Uh, so the uh, proposed legislation will be based on that uh, engagement. More than 93% of British Columbians spoke out in that public engagement in favour of scrapping the clock switch. The B.C. government will unveil legislation on Thursday, giving the province that power. We're so happy here in Kamloops. Obviously, this has been something that we've been waiting for officially for four years. And our goal was to have it all completed by 2020. So it looks like we are right on track. But the legislation doesn't automatically mean the changes are gone. British Columbia is still waiting on Washington, Oregon and California, and it's complicated south of the border. They need congressional approval to get rid of their seasonal time changes, and Congress is tied up with impeachment proceedings. Plus, California now may want permanent standard time instead. Uh, ensuring that we're on a consistent time zone down the west coast of the United States. It's a huge market for us. We're an export-dependent economy, uh, and so that's definitely a consideration. This expert says daylight saving time will create darkness in the morning and cause problems. If we are on permanent daylight saving time, we will increasingly get less morning light and our circadian clock is drifting. BC Liberal MLA Linda Larson's been working on getting permanent DST legislation passed for more than two years. I think it just simplifies everything for everyone. It's just one less little annoyance uh, that we deal with on our, day, on our daily lives. All right, it's not over yet, as you mentioned. What will happen if the Pacific states decide to scrap the permanent daylight saving time idea there? Premier John Horgan, Chris, has made it clear throughout this process that he wants to go along with the Pacific states. But if they're unable to get it done by next year at this time, B.C. very well could go at it alone. They have been in conversations with Yukon potentially to make the switch. But for now, they want to ensure that they give those borders along the coast a little bit more time before making the final decision here. All right, we'll see what happens. Thanks very much, Richard. Now to breaking news involving ride hailing in this province. A leaked document obtained by Global News indicates the prospect of seeing the service rolling in time for Christmas is now almost nil. Keith Baldry joins us live in Victoria with more. Keith, this document is from the Passenger Transportation Board. What does it say? 
Yeah, it's just a one-page, terse one-page letter to all ride-hailing applicants from the Passenger Transportation Board. That's the board that's in charge of the rules when it comes to ride-hailing. And they note that because the BC Taxi Association and the Vancouver Taxi Association have launched a judicial review of the initial rules that the Passenger Transportation Board set down, there's going to be new rules going forward in how these applications to set up these services are going to be done. So here's what uh, they're being told as of today. First of all, there had been a plan to have oral uh, hearings. That's no longer the case. That's off the table when it comes to applications. Uh, submissions, those applications will be redacted. In, things, in other words, things will be taken out to protect privacy, but they will be shared with other business operators. They'll have seven days to respond to those redacted submissions and then another 14 days to submit even more information. And then the board will go away and make its ultimate decision. So we're, we add up those numbers. We're talking well over a month, probably a lot longer before those applications will be approved or disapproved. We caught up with a BC Liberal critic, Jazz Joel who says basically don't expect to be able to call Uber if you want to get home from your office Christmas party this year. They've changed the rules in the middle of the game. There is no need to do this. This at the end of the day is to placate the taxi lobby. If British Columbians thought they could get home perhaps after their Christmas party or even New Year's Eve party by taking an Uber or Lyft or other ride-hailing companies, they can forget it. This unnecessary barrier that's been added is going to make it more difficult. You can probably expect ride-hailing in, in the new year. So Transportation Minister Claire Trevena, we weren't able to get her on camera. She did release a short statement saying she's still confident a ride-hailing app will be available and of use before the end of the year. But, of course, the word Christmas seems to be missing from this message. So perhaps Mr. Joel Hall's right. Christmas parties may not be taken home or be leaving there taking Uber. They'll probably have to wait till next year. Find another way home this year. All right. Thanks yeah. for that, Keith. Some harsh criticism for the justice system from family of a 15-year-old girl killed in a crash in 2016. The accused, entering a guilty plea today, then handed a $1,500 fine and a driving prohibition. Grace Key has more on what happened and the emotional reaction just outside the courthouse. <laughs> Angela Ramos is devastated, believing justice has not been served for her daughter Lydia. In an Abbotsford courtroom, driver Jacob Blanthorne was handed a $1,500 fine and a driving suspension for a collision that led to her death. It's $1,500, so that's $100 per year that my daughter was alive. Thanks. Thank you. Because now I don't get my grandbabies. It was a dark and stormy night when the collision happened on this windy logging road at one in the morning back in March 2016 in Mission. Four friends had been hanging out by Stave Lake. In an agreed statement of facts, Blanthorne, 21 years old at the time, safely made a turn. Then, for an unknown reason, overcorrected and went down an embankment. Alcohol was not a factor. 15-year-old Lydia was killed. Three others were injured. It was really a momentary lack of inadvertence by my client that resulted in the accident. Uh, the inadvertence was quite minor. Uh, as the judge indicated, the consequences were rather tragic. Blanthorne was originally charged with two counts of dangerous driving under the criminal code. In court, he pleaded to a lesser offense, driving without due care and attention under the Motor Vehicle Act. I would have been satisfied for one week in jail, uh, just a week in jail to see there was a consequence. Blanthorne made a statement in court saying, I'd like to say I know that nothing I can do or say will bring Lydia back, but I wanted to say I am truly sorry. 
The judge agreed to the fine, adding no equation should be drawn between the amount of the fine and the value in the loss of human life, which is priceless. Grace Key, Global News. One final note in this case, the length of the driving suspension will be determined at a later date by the superintendent of motor vehicles. Compelling testimony today at the attempted murder trial of Carlton Stevens. He's the man accused of shooting his pregnant ex-girlfriend, causing her to lose her unborn child. Today, a fourth witness testified to seeing Stevens with a gun that day and recalled the moment she confronted the accused. Here's Romina Dea. A tense moment in courtroom 72 as Dolly Middleton and the accused locked eyes, glaring at each other before testimony began. Middleton, a key witness for Crown, called 911 the day of the shooting. A pregnant woman has been shot. There's a hole in her stomach. Please hurry. The victim, known as initials JY because her identity is protected by a publication ban, was six and a half months pregnant. The bullet severed the umbilical cord. The unborn child did not survive. All I seen was she had a bullet hole in her belly. And it was... Being a mom, I can't imagine what she's going to go through when she wakes up. Middleton spoke to Global News after the shooting in May last year. The judge has ordered her not to talk about her evidence at trial, but at the time of the shooting, Middleton told us she confronted the suspect. I called him down, I told him what I thought of him, and I decked him one. And he hit me back. In court Wednesday, Middleton identified the accused, Carlton Stevens, as the man she got into a fight with. Middleton testified Stevens pointed a gun at her and fired a bullet near her foot before he fled. Middleton also told the court she chased after Stevens and another man who dropped a knife. The case hinges on the identity of who shot J.Y. Two people were captured on camera at the crime scene. Defense is suggesting someone else shot J.Y. Stevens has pleaded not guilty to one count of attempted murder. The victim testified last week that Stevens, her ex-boyfriend, had accused her of being unfaithful and he wanted her to get an abortion. Romina Dea, Global News. We are closing in very quickly on the Friday morning strike deadline when most bus and sea bus captains in Metro Vancouver would be able to take some form of job action. While the union and the Coast Mountain Bus Company are still talking, working conditions remain a key sticking point. A stark example of that was caught on video yesterday. Catherine Urquhart has more on the violent outburst. Jane is still shaken as she looks at video she recorded Tuesday afternoon while on a bus in Burnaby. I was absolutely terrified of it. The mom was with her nine-year-old son when the driver asked a transit user to step behind the red line. The man snapped. Jane recorded him kicking the doors, then spitting on the driver. I was so scared because my son was with me and we were so close to where it had happened. The incident happened as bus and CBUS employees are poised to take job action as early as Friday morning. 
wages, benefits, and working conditions the key sticking points, according to the union. Regrettably, these types of incidents are too common. Um, it's not news to uh, the union and it's not news to the company, uh, but it does highlight the tough working conditions our members face out there. Transit police say assaults on transit employees do happen, but aren't routine. I'd be cautious to say that it's common, but it is something that, uh, that we do uh, deal with. Um, what I would say is when something like this occurs, it's something that we absolutely take seriously. Police say they'll review surveillance video taken on the bus, noting the person could be charged with assault, mischief, and causing a disturbance. Eventually, that video may be released publicly. For now, police are interviewing witnesses and they're calling on the suspect to come forward. We'd like them to come forward um, and uh, give them their version of events. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. And while contract talks continue, TransLink is advising the public to prepare for disruptions if nothing is resolved by Friday. Unifor has not informed us of their plans for any job action that they might undertake on Friday morning. It's really up in the air. What I can tell you is we will be doing our very best to communicate to customers what they need to know for their commute. Please do watch our social media channels, check our webpage. We'll do our best with what knowledge we have to communicate to customers. Two serious accidents in the same spot in just over a month, prompting families of the victims to speak out. They say the intersection in Cloverdale is clearly dangerous and they're calling for action before anyone else ends up in the ICU. And as they tell our Jordan Armstrong tonight, the fix seems fairly simple. 93-year-old Fred Gunter is in tremendous pain. The senior is in a hospital bed at Royal Columbian with very serious injuries. He has a broken pelvis, eight cracked ribs, uh, damage to his vertebrae. On Saturday, Gunter, who uses a mobility scooter, was hit in the crosswalk of Highway 10 at 177 B Street in Cloverdale by a pickup truck turning left. Obviously didn't see him. You know, it shouldn't have happened. But it's not the first time it has. I thought, oh my gosh, that is the very same place that my husband was hit on a scooter five weeks ago. Norman Keyes is still in hospital with a head injury. Both families say the fix here is simple. An advanced left turn arrow for drivers turning onto Highway 10 which would reduce the amount of time vehicles and pedestrians share the intersection. This whole setup is not good. It should be followed up. Especially since the only grocery store recently moved to the other side of the highway. Everyone that wants to go shopping now has, is forced to cross that highway. And because a highway's involved, it's not Surrey's problem, but rather the Ministry of Transportation's. Obviously, the Ministry is looking at the intersection, seeing if there's any safety, safety improvements that could be done. For everyone's sake, I hope that happens soon and before any more injuries. For now, the young and fit will dart across, while those with mobility issues will be forced to take their time and chances. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. 
But first, a major raid of unlicensed cannabis dispensaries by the Community Safety Unit has owners and customers furious about what they see as an intrusion. They even staged a protest outside VPD headquarters today for its support of the crackdown. Aaron MacArthur explains why many of the operators say the raid is unfair. Don't touch me! Emotions running high inside the dispensary. The gray market pot shop on Thurlow was raided Wednesday morning. Every gram of product on the shelves seized. Dana Larson, who owns the shop, says this is not serving the public's needs. This was not a priority for them, and uh, that, that, that if you were in compliance with city bylaws, you were going to be left alone as long as you're making a good faith effort to go into the legal system. While the cops were bagging and boxing, outside, customers continued to try the door. A steady stream of medical patients and seniors baffled that their local dispensary was out of business. Right now, because I don't have my medicine, I'm very sick and shaken here. It's not right. I'm a resident of Canada. I'm 69 years old with cancer. Why can't I come to a nice place and buy my weed? While protesters were blaming the VPD for the raid, spokespeople say the department only assisting the community safety unit, a provincial government agency tasked with upholding the new laws around cannabis. According to the Minister of Public Safety, the grey market operators were given plenty of notice. I think the, uh, the community safety unit at, at last count, uh, I think there's been about 50 some odd illegal operations that have either been, sh have either shut down voluntarily or have uh, had their, uh, their product uh, and uh, the cash uh, uh, confiscated. While Larson is operating outside the legal framework, he is in the process of applying for a license. In the meantime, he says this store, with a loyal customer base, will reopen. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. The Bank of Canada opting to hold interest rates today. Governor Stephen Paulos's team says the domestic economy has held up well in many respects and inflation has been close to target. But the resilience of Canada's economy will be increasingly tested as trade conflicts and uncertainty persist. The Bank of Canada's decision to hold steady stands out as dozens of policymakers around the globe have taken steps to cushion the blow from the weakening world economy. All right, that looks like a massive pile of money that a lot of people have spent on Halloween decorations. Just one more sleep until All Hallows' Eve. Meteorologist Christy Gordon is getting into the spirit at Belmont Haunted House in North Vancouver. Again in North Vancouver, Christy. <laughs> It's amazing the number of houses here in North Vancouver that really get into the spirit of here in Halloween. Uh, you know, this one is a little bit more geared towards uh, kid-friendly, I would say. This is Jim and Danielle Myers, a very generous family who's been doing this for 20 years. Jim, it really is spectacular what you've done for the community here. Yes, it's 20 years we've been doing this. We're raising funds for Ronald McDonald House. Uh, 100% of the donations go to Ronald McDonald House and uh, we have people here to scare them, to uh, get a smile out of them and uh, they, they go home with their adrenaline pumping. Danielle, a lot of stuff. You said half of the stuff is still in the warehouse. Yes. Tell people what And he do. keeps coming with new stuff. I'm going, <laughs> oh my gosh, what's happening? So yeah, we got a lot of stuff in the garage and it goes all the way around. It's good for all ages. You can mm -hmm. go uh, in the back is more for the younger kids. It's a little bit too scary for the older or no, for the real young kids to go in the garage. Right. But 
100,000 worth of animatronics here. A lot to see, that's for sure. They've raised over $40,000 for the Ronald McDonald House. 100% of the donations go to them. Thank you so much for giving yes. back to the community, uh, both Jim and Danielle Myers. All right, we'll throw it back to you, and we'll have more. I'm going to show you one of the creepiest ones here uh, a little bit later, you two. All right, as long as it doesn't have eight legs and <laughs> Look, eight eyes. If, it, if Christy's involved, it you know it, it won't. won't. Okay. All right, thanks for that, Christy. This fire is rapidly spreading right now. Time to go, bud. As predicted, strong winds whipped up wildfires across California today, forcing more evacuations of both people and of animals. The fire is burning in both the north and the south, and the firefighters battling them all still at the mercy of those winds. Californians also weary of intentional blackouts designed to prevent more fires and wondering when this will all end. This is what we did not want to see, especially in conditions like this. Before daybreak, fears becoming real in Southern California. Wind whipped flames pushing once again across the landscape. Gusts up to 45 miles an hour, spinning up fire nados in Simi Valley, forcing new evacuations. Look at that. They're probably uh, shooting up about 30 feet in the air. As embers spark new hot spots, flames hopscotching across the dry brush, edging ever closer to the Reagan Presidential Library where firefighters are making their stand on the ground. As the aerial assault continues overhead, I never thought it was going to happen to us. East of Los Angeles, another growing brush fire, the Hill Fire, forcing evacuations at a convalescent home and nearby ranches as firefighters work to keep hotspots from crossing the freeway. As long as we have these gusty winds that continue with 40 to 50 mile an hour gusts, this makes it extremely difficult. Meanwhile, 400 miles to the north, the fight against the Kincaid Fire, now a week old. More than 4,000 firefighters pushed to their limits in this battle against the state's largest fire. Working to hold the line. Jennifer Bjorkland, NBC News, Healdsburg, California. The fires have devastated the state's power grid, and once again, a BC company is coming to the rescue. Ted Chernecki has the story of Rockstad Power racing south to help. Blowtorch seems an apt description for the kind of fires seen raging in southern and mid-California. Hundreds of thousands are without power. The newest firestorm in the Simi Valley, and likely started by a fallen power line. Unfortunately, it was uh, about the worst time it could happen. 40 mile an hour sustained winds and, uh, again, fuels that were ripe and ready to carry fire. A small fleet of Rockstead vehicles held up for about six hours at the Pacific and Peace Arch crossings as the Coquitlam Company tries to explain the call it received from California. The phone call was pretty frantic. Uh, they, were, they realized that they, they had an issue and they were reaching out to all of their contractors. And uh, so we, we went right to work. That was less than 48 hours ago and they're already in Northern California, ready to start working in wine country near San Francisco. We feel like we're going in right, at, right in the heart of the action. So this will be interesting for us. You're right, we usually we're responding to natural disasters like a hurricane or severe weather events. You know, major fire events like this is, is quite rare. Rockstead helped restore power after Hurricane Sandy hit the East Coast in 2012, but that was all aftermath. This is very different, where the next in sudden danger is driven by the vagaries of the wind. 
we got to make sure that the areas we go into are safe and are ready to work on before we just get gung-ho and go in there and try to try to fix things. So safety is definitely number one. So this fire has essentially burned all around the Reagan Library, seemingly sparing it. 80 linemen from Canada, another 40 or so from the company's American operation, and they'll be down there anywhere from one to five weeks. Ted Chernecki, Global News. So it's a little hard to make out from the security video here, but that is lightning hitting the parking lot of a Chevron gas station in Fort Worth, Texas. And take a look at this. It's what's left behind. The lightning blew apart the pavement and left a five meter wide hole in the ground. Thankfully, no one was hurt. Yikes. Well, we are seeing for the first time tonight new video from the U.S. military of the raid that killed the world's most wanted terrorists. Along with the video, there's new information about the last moments of the life of Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi. Video released by the Pentagon shows the initial U.S. strikes on al-Baghdadi's compound. General Kenneth McKenzie, commander of CENTCOM, oversaw the operation and today narrated the dramatic assault. These individuals, who we don't assess were affiliated with Baghdadi, but nonetheless demonstrated hostile intent against U.S. forces, were killed by two airstrikes from supporting helicopters. That cleared the way for the commandos to approach the compound. With the assault force surrounding the compound, we repeatedly urged those inside to come out peacefully. When they didn't, the commandos went in. Al-Baghdadi, chased by this heroic military dog, ran into a dead-end tunnel where he ignited his suicide vest. He crawled into a hole with two small children and blew himself up. Once U.S. forces had cleared the area, the compound was demolished by multiple strikes. It looks pretty much like a parking lot with large uh, potholes right now. President Trump watched the drama unfold on live TV in the White House Situation Room Saturday night. We had absolutely perfect, as though you were watching a movie. He described al-Baghdadi as scared out of his mind in his final moments. Whimpering and crying and screaming all the way. General McKenzie could not confirm that claim and made clear that ISIS is far from finished. So we're under no illusions that it's going to go away just because we uh, we kill Baghdadi. It will remain. They will be dangerous. We suspect they will try some form of retribution attack. In Health Matters tonight, a UBC study has found that many people with a variety of mood and anxiety disorders share the same abnormalities in regions of the brain. The research used brain imaging findings that could lead to the development of new treatments targeting specific regions of the brain involved in emotional and cognitive control. It could help patients with bipolar disorder, post-traumatic stress and anxiety disorders, and lead to a science-based explanation for why some patients get locked into negative mood states. Well, any parent who's gone through it knows it's very difficult to get a young child to wear their new glasses. But an optician in Pennsylvania has recruited an unlikely helper to get kids to feel better about it. Truffles, come here. Truffles. Truffles is the rescue cat who shakes a paw, gives high fives and fist bumps, and willingly models glasses for Danielle Krull's youngest customers. She also wears glasses with a patch. To show kids, that's okay, too. Now, where do we put them when we take them off? Where do we put our glasses? That's right, we put it in our case. I've never seen a cat like that before. I'm stunned by that. That obedient. Krill also posts videos of truffles on Facebook for parents who can't get to her in person. (laughs) 
That might be the new water skiing squirrel. Or, I'm not sure. Well, the fashion industry is often singled out as one of the planet's great polluters. But staying in style doesn't have to ruin the environment. At UBC, an event designed to educate people about the perils of fast fashion. And as Linda Aylesworth shows us, create hot new looks out of older clothing. That's not good. Okay, now, you see you're going to watch that line and just yeah. go super, super carefully. Just to the right-hand side of it. Yeah, right. just... Learning how to sew saves money and a whole lot more. So what we're trying to do is keep all the waste out of the, out of the, you know, the garbage and all that. So we're trying to do textile recovery, really. This sewing workshop, held by the not-for-profit Framework, is part of Sustainability Fashion Week at UBC. It's really great to learn how to repair clothes rather than just tossing it out. I think it's really easy for people to get into the habit of buying things and then throwing it away once you have one little hole in it. Another part of the event, a clothing swap for students and staff. I make a point to, to try to get most of my clothes from thrift stores and things like that. You know, when you're making so much new stuff and then like if one person uses it and then it goes in the trash, it's still usable. One of the big contributors to the problem is fast fashion. Cheap, practically disposable clothing, often made in developing nations by underpaid workers toiling in unacceptable conditions. And that's not the worst of it. The environmental costs of producing fast fashion is often uh, lots of toxic chemicals are dumped into communities, so we're actually poisoning people for our own clothing. The moral of this story, if you want to be part of the solution... We want them to be good consumers, so we want them to use their buying power to force retailers to, to uh, act responsibly and to really understand where their clothing comes from. Also, try to buy locally produced garments and consider repairs or alterations rather than tossing them out. Okay. Looks good. Sounds you good. did well. Okay. Excellent. Okay. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Very talented. Mm -hmm. A fascinating glimpse into the past to a day that changed Canadian shopping forever. After the forecast, we'll take you back to the grand opening of Canada's first Costco here in BC. Shopping in bulk. Who knew it would be so popular? Okay, let's uh, check in for some who bought their Halloween uh, decorations in bulk. That's where Christy is right now. Look at our weather forecast. Christy. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Yes, over the last 20 years, they've been collecting. And I tell you, this tour of the haunted houses this week, it's gotten me a little used to it. I actually went inside their haunted house tonight, and it wasn't too bad. I didn't go all the way in, but I peeked in, <laughs> so it's not too bad. All right, let's talk about the weather. It was gorgeous, and the sunset was stunning once again. Lots of photos coming in. Thank you to everyone who shares those photos, because it is great to see those. Your Halloween forecast, we're still looking at 6 degrees, which is nice, dry conditions, but we are expecting a bit of fog, so if you're a driver tomorrow night watch out for the little kids and if you're a mom or a dad make sure your kids have something reflective on because it could be tough to see the little ones cool though we'll keep give them an extra layer now overnight we will see a few flurries push into those southern regions uh, so central interior caribou and columbia region into tomorrow morning but it clears out by the afternoon and the entire bc area looking at a terrific halloween forecast yay you just need to bundle up that's it there's your uh, day forecast so warming up to uh, uh, four or five degrees in through the central interior down through the south five degrees so a touch warmer than what we've seen over the last couple of days and tonight also will be a touch warmer also but we will see some fog along with the mix of sun and cloud we are expecting dry conditions and sunshine again on friday over the weekend by the way we change our clocks we fall back on sunday morning 
And I always get confused. I think we gain an hour when we fall back, right? And that's on Sunday morning, so don't forget that. Uh, here's a look at what I think is the creepiest here. This guy behind me for sure, but also this one, Chris and Sophie. Oh my goodness. This little oh. thing has been riding her bike around all oh, night no. right by my feet. I don't like her. Yes. She's been Do you see what I'm saying? Since the 1700s. <laughs> I, I, think, I <laughs> yeah. think she might be the younger sister of the girls from The Shining. Yikes. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Christy. Thanks, Christy. No, don't worry about nightmares tonight <laughs> or anything. Well, at the time, no one really knew that it would change the way Canadians shopped. 34 years ago today, Global BC, then known as BCTV, was there when Canada's first Costco opened in Burnaby. The rules were a little different back then. Only business owners and government and utility company employees were allowed to join. Business members paid wholesale, while employees with group memberships paid 5% more. Among the people we spoke to on opening day, reaction to the prices was mixed. Getting a uh, good price on the, the palm tree there, sir? Uh, well, I don't know. <clears throat> Somebody just told me that it is a little cheaper at our naps. Yes, the prices are extremely good. Some of the food buys are not bad. Although Woodward's compete, com compete quite well on their special prices. It's surprising. I'm not much of a shopper, but my wife, who is, uh, tells me that the prices are very good. This was a special preview day where people were invited to take out a membership. Anyone who gave Costco their name and address got to take home 18 free <laughs> eggs. <laughs> really? Wow. Very oh, cool. Okay. It's a long time ago, those 80s fashion. I don't often shop at Costco, but when you go there, you sort of start getting into the rhythm. It's like, yes, I actually do need a can of soup this big. <laughs> oh, yeah, you... You and can't a get thousand out of there. rolls of toilet paper. Well, you will go through it at some point. You will. Point. You won't have to go back for a long time. That's that's a plus. Whew. All right, Squires here with sports. Uh, the Canucks on a California road swing. Yes, like. they are. I, you know what? Last night I mentioned the uh, people who were put into the uh, BC Sports Hall of Fame, and I said I hope I remember everyone's name. Mm -hmm. Uh-oh. And, and of did. course I didn't. It's okay. Sonia you Gaudette, who is one of the great uh, wheelchair curlers of all time. My apologies. She is also in the BC Sports Hall of Fame in 2020. Good for her. Okay, the Canucks, as you said, are in California. Three games starting tonight in Los Angeles against the Kings team. They embarrassed at Rogers Arena in the third game of the season. I think it was 8-2. to two. There's been so many goals, I've forgotten how many goals they've scored in games. <laughs> uh, Jacob Markstrom, who did not play well in his last game when the Canucks blew a 5-1 lead against Washington and didn't play in Florida or against Florida. That was Thatcher Demko's start. Will start in this one. It looks like he'll go. It also looks like Louis Erickson will start in this game. He was in the last game. The Canucks are basically putting out the same group that hung a seven spot on the Panthers. Uh, Markstrom should get some work in this one. One thing about the LA Kings, they're not a great team, but they aren't shy at taking shots. The thing is, not a lot of their shots actually go in the net. It is a 7.30 start. Got to show you this from last night. Andre Svechnikov. Look at this. Svechnikov, lacrosse goal against the Calgary Flames. One more look. Well, that's plays of the year material. For sure. Wow, that's amazing. He had very little room. Is he the goalie in the mask? He hit the goalie in the mask. Yes, he hit okay? Riddick in the mask. Yeah, it's okay. I mean, I'm sure the goalie didn't like it, but that's, that's all good. Puck went in off his face. Uh, Toronto FC Atlanta, this is the Eastern Final in MLS, and this is not a good start for TFC. That's a two-on-none for Atlanta, and Julian Gressel scores. 
in the fourth minute. And then it landed with a penalty kick. But it's stopped by Quentin Westberg. That might have been game over if that had gone in. Toronto gets momentum from that. Nicholas Benazay scores, and that's the way it is in the second half, 1-1. The winner will play Seattle. Yes, Seattle is in the MLS Cup final again. They've been in three of the last four years. Whatever they're doing, the Whitecaps should just copy it. Uh, they'll be on the road for the final. If Atlanta wins this game tonight, they'll be home to Toronto if TFC beats Atlanta. Um, Seattle's game, or the championship game, I should say, between Seattle and Atlanta or Toronto will be November 10th. I want to show you what Seattle did last night because they pulled a huge upset against LAFC, who was the unbeatable team in the regular season, but they got beaten last night 3-1. Nicholas Odero with the winning goal there. So the uh, Sounders, three Western championships in the last four years. Who will win the World Series? Game 7 at Minimaid in Houston. First run, only run so far. Yuli Gurriel with the homer here for the Astros. The home team is yet to win a game in this series. So Houston looking to break that. 1-0 in the fifth inning. Bianca Andreescu had to leave her WTA finals match with Carolina Pliskova today after the first set because of a knee injury. Andreescu was leading 2-0 in the first set when she hurt her knee. She taped it up, she kept playing, but after the first set, she lost the first set. She decided, let's just stop. She'll get an MRI tomorrow to see how much damage was done. She could barely bend it by the time she had stopped playing. All right. If you think the season has been rough for the BC Lions players and coaching staff, it got a bit rougher the other day when head coach Devon Claybrooks gave his rookie assistant coaches the one-chip challenge. If you aren't aware of it, the challenge is eating one chip made with the Carolina Reaper pepper. They have a food rating for these things, or a heat rating, the Scoville. This chip is apparently one and a half million on the Scoville. The jalapeno pepper, hottest jalapeno pepper you'll find, is about 8,000. So you can see the difference. The Lions allowed us to be there for this, and just for you, because it's dinner time, we edited out the gross parts. All right, this is the final part of y'all's initiation as uh, rookie coaches. So we do have the one chip challenge. I don't know if you heard of it. I don't really care. As your boss, you have no choice but to take it and like it. On the count of three, everybody digest the chip. One, two, three, go. Whoa! Oh, man. I mean, I'm glad that they, that we got 100% buy-in here. I, I love it. I would never want anything like this in my life. This is like one of the worst experiences ever. How did that actually? It's, how what did that it? actually hold up into your digestive system? It did. Went down, came up. I feel it all. Yeah, they all pass the test uh, with flying colors. You know, some some are struggling with the extra credit bonus question, as you can see. <laughs> He really didn't survive. Oh man, Ryan Phillips took a beating. Oh. Like his, his nose is running like a tap there for a while, so we didn't want to show you that. But, is anybody uh, hospitalized? No. I don't think so. Oh good. Not Probably yet. wish they were. Jeopardy host Alex Trebek continues to be very open about his battle with pancreatic cancer since announcing his diagnosis back in March. Now, despite admitting that side effects from his chemotherapy can make it difficult for him to speak, he's working to raise awareness about the disease. 
I'm a bit puzzled. You will soon be seeing Alex Trebek on more than just Jeopardy. In nearly every country, pancreatic cancer is the only major cancer with a five-year survival rate in the single digits. The 79-year-old game show host is teaming up with the World Pancreatic Cancer Coalition in a PSA to raise awareness about the disease. He is one of nearly 57,000 Americans diagnosed this year. I wish I had known sooner that the persistent stomach pain I experienced prior to my diagnosis was a symptom of pancreatic cancer. Other common symptoms can include mid-back pain, unexplained weight loss, new-onset diabetes, and the yellowing of the skin or eyes. Since revealing the diagnosis in March... I'm going to fight this. Trebek shared his roller coaster ride of hope and then heartache. Now wearing a wig and struggling with his speech as he endures more treatments, yet grateful for each day. I've lived a good life, a full life, and uh, I'm nearing the end of that life. But by no means quitting. Together, we can get it done. The unintended flag bearer for a deadly disease, hoping early detection will lead to better outcomes. Ann Thompson, NBC News. Still hoping for the best for him. No doubt. All right, let's check in with Christy one last time before we go from the haunted house, another haunted house in North Van. That's right. So this is the indoor portion. This is the part that I cannot go all the way in of. But I'm in a fairways, if you can imagine. Oh, my God. That guy's new. I haven't seen that one yet. <laughs> this is why I don't do these things. Except okay, bye, guys. <laughs> yeah, we send her out every time. All right, thanks very much, Christy. Way to be brave. The creepy girl on the bike. She seemed like a nice kid. <laughs> no way. Thanks for watching, everybody.